Hey, what's up? I'm Gotham Sharma. You're listening to the Axis Cyber Podcast. Today on the show, we're chatting with Benjamin Masse about his vision of bringing cybersecurity education to a million people around the world. Benjamin, thank you for joining me. Gotham, it's a real pleasure to be on your show today. Thank you so much for the invitation. And uh, I'd like to thank in advance all the listeners that are going to tune in and listen to our conversation today. Absolutely. I think there's, uh, there's going to be a lot of wisdom that I'm going to try and steal from your brain a little bit and, uh, and share with people listening. Don't set the bar too high, man. I, I haven't started yet. We don't know where it's going to go. <laughs> Just trying to motivate you. That's all. <laughs> all right. Let's do this. Uh, so, Benjamin, we, we met after I had seen many, many people talk about Mosse Cybersecurity Institute mm-hmm. on LinkedIn and online. And I said, I have to figure out what this is and I have to figure out who's involved with this. What is this thing? So I want to get a sense of of you, uh, of your background, and then with what Mosse Cybersecurity Institute is and what the goals are. Well, Gotham, we're very thankful that you've reached out. Um, I guess to to give you a little bit of information about myself, I like to say that I started computer hacking when I was 12 years old. Um, And the reason why I say that is that uh, I, I have a bit of a, uh, unusual story. Uh, I'm French and uh, I used to live in countryside France in a village of, let's say, 500 people. And when I was eight years old, my father bought a PC with Windows 95 and uh, I immediately became fascinated by it. And I actually started teaching myself coding when I was eight. And uh, when I was 12, one of my friends yeah, at school said to me, oh, you're into computers. You need to meet my father. He's a computer hacker. And so I went to her place and uh, I met the, the absolute epitome of a geek, Gotham. And, and you know, he kind of lent me um, some books and magazines on computer hacking because in France, you have actually news agencies that publish magazines every month on the topic of computer security. And so as a 12 year old, you can imagine, I was completely fascinated by this. And I immediately knew that this is what I wanted to dedicate my life to. And so I kind of got into it like that. And by the time I was 16, I had found vulnerabilities in plenty of web apps. Web app was my thing back then. Um, and I got a job in cyber actually uh, doing pen testing and also worked a bit as a freelance developer and then I, I moved to Australia, you know, the other side of the world. And um, I, I landed a job in consulting. And a few years later, I decided that um, I would create my own business. And so Mosse Security and then Mosse Cybersecurity Institute was created from, from there. And uh, really as an institute, what we are working towards achieving is to train a million people on practical cybersecurity skills. Skills that really, if you apply them in the field, they work and they make a difference. Um, And we're also working towards reducing the cost of security training um, so that it's more inclusive, uh, so that we can be training people in Africa just as much as people in the United States, and we can train at scale. You know, we we like to say that uh, we are Australia's largest corporate cybersecurity institute. Uh, maybe even APAC, uh, I'm not sure, but you know, we, we have something like 5,000 slides, uh, over 4,000 students online. 
Uh, we have a thousand online exercises to train anybody for 10,000 hours. You know, we have a team of five instructors at all sorts of different levels. That's a little bit about me and, and the Institute Gotham. There's so much there I want to, I want to get into from a small town in France and uh, just kind of by luck, right? Almost. Is, is that fair <laughs> to say? Just by luck connecting with somebody who was really into this? You know, this was in the early 2000s. And uh, I mean, there would have only been two computers in the whole town, one at my place and one at her place. So sure. I think destiny wanted it to, to go that way, I think. For sure. You have this goal of uh, one mil training one million people in cybersecurity. How far along that goal are you and when do you think you'll reach it? Honestly, I have no idea when we will reach it. We've had this goal for a while, but it took us about 18 months to design a technology that could actually achieve that goal. Um, and so that's what we call the online learning platform. And the way it's been designed is that from the onset, we actually aim to have an architecture, an application, and a system that could train 50 million people. So, you know, we don't think we'll have ever 50 million, but the goal is you, you build something that can host 50 million users. And if you get 1 million, then you've reached your objective. And so we launched the platform, um, you know, a year and four months ago, and we've reached over 4,000 students already. And we grow at about 100 to 150 new online students every two weeks at the moment. The platform is not completely finished as we speak in Gotham. Uh, we have a lot more that's coming out. And we think that uh, hopefully, you know, in another year or two, you'll have so much content um, that would be suitable for people at all different levels, all different kind of uh, economic backgrounds um, that, uh, you know, we're hoping to attract a million students. And I think you're definitely on track to make that happen. One of the things I really appreciate about what you're doing is this idea of, uh, and, I, and I relate to this when we built Access Cyber, the idea is everyone should have access to these resources. Is that one of the main drivers of Mosse Institute? You know, absolutely. The world has really changed from 10 years ago when I was really making a decision that cybersecurity was going to be the field I would dedicate myself to professionally to um, today. I mean, today there's so much free content already available online, on YouTube, on blogs. If you follow the right people on Twitter, you can learn a lot. But really the piece that's missing which we have created is this idea that you should do a practical exercise, do your own research to solve it as if you were in the field so that you learn every intricacy of actually how the solution must work to solve a problem statement that's fairly realistic. And then you submit that, an instructor actually opens your submission, reviews it, and gives you feedback, tells you, Listen, your code needs to be more documented. Your document that you've produced doesn't look professional enough. It wouldn't work in the real world. You're missing this component or that command line argument doesn't work like that. And actually getting that feedback and having the ability to try an unlimited number of times until you master the skill. And so the way we, we go about teaching people is we don't actually give them slides, videos, or anything like that because the internet is already filled with that kind of content and more gets created every day. But what we do is we force people to 
actually solve real problem statement like they would in the field. And then we give them feedback as if we were their mentors sitting next to them in the team. You have people who work with you on this institute now. When you're looking to hire somebody, what are the things that in your mind say, this is going to make a good candidate and I want this person to be associated with our brand? Well, the very first thing is the attitude of the person. For me, that's the most important. Um, the person uh, needs to be honest. They need to be loyal. They need to be dedicated. They need to um, work through problems in a systematic way. They need to be a good team player, a good communicator. So I look for all these kind of mindsets, attitudes, way of being in the world. And once I find an individual that, that kind of matches exactly our cultural fits, I think that teaching them the technical skills is a very small step. All they have to do, and that's what we do in our companies, we put them on the platform and we say, for the next 45 days, I want you to get you know, 100 points in the platform. It means they have to do 100 exercises or 80 exercises to reach that goal. And they're going to learn so much in just 45 days. And then you continue accumulating this over one year, 18 months, two years. And basically, you know, uh, somebody can go from zero to hero, you know, from a technical standpoint without any, without any doubt in my mind that they can reach that goal to be able to do that. I used to mentor people in the company one-on-one, -on -one, but obviously that didn't scale and it was very time consuming. What I'm saying is if you hire people that have the right aptitudes to be able to learn cybersecurity uh, and that at the same time, they're also a perfect cultural match for your team or your organization, then the technical skills will solve themselves so long as the person continues to put in the hour to learn it. You know, learning the technical skills, it's just a matter of sitting down at your computer for 10,000 hours and solving one problem after another again and again and again until you have such a wide understanding of how to go about this that you can basically tackle anything professionally. You brought up a few times this phrase, practical cybersecurity. Very curious what that means to you, how you define it, and how you even apply it. All right. Well, I think maybe what's, what's triggering your question is that cybersecurity is very broad, and depending on the organization that you chat with, they can have a, a non-practical approach to cybersecurity. You know, one example is that they could be very focused on compliance, uh, for example, or that, you know, they, they're very focused on things like risk management. And so they don't necessarily have technical people on the ground actually doing the, the work. Um, I think, you know, um, I come from a very technical approach to cybersecurity. I was a pen tester before anything else. And then I became a red teamer and then I became an instant responder and then a threat hunter. And now I do some work in threat intel and reverse engineering and malware analysis. My philosophy is that, you know, the only way to uh, disrupt, deter, stop the adversaries is to actually go on your network and harden machines. It's to go on your network and find vulnerabilities before they do and actually patch these vulnerabilities. It's to go on your network and collect digital forensic artifacts at scale and have a person actually look at them in a, sometimes an automated fashion, but actually look at them, do some research, run some hypothesis, 
monitor some things that we know are weak spots in the network and actually go out and catch them and respond to them. It's to track campaigns that are being ran against uh, an organization. So, you know, you may have AV that fires and, and you see, oh, you know, somebody opens a Word document that had a PowerShell command. You need to ask yourself, is this part of a campaign? Can we take some strings from this PowerShell command and find it elsewhere in, on our network? Can we find it on VirusTotal? Can we take the email address that was used for the phishing and see whether other users have been targeted sim, you know, in a similar manner? Can we write some Yara rules that we deploy throughout our fleet? Like, I'm a very sort of practical kind of person when it comes to cybersecurity, but that's not the only area, obviously, that one needs to focus on. There are more softer areas um, as well that, that actually matter from a business perspective. There's a place for the technical and more of the compliance side of the house to kind of work together to solve a lot of these problems? No, that is absolutely correct. And compliance, uh, as an example, is really a, a major business pain point. Like, you know, we have clients that have to respond, report to 28 different regulators. So they need a team in-house that does compliance every single day of the year, basically. And so, um, you know, sometimes I do wish that compliance would be almost separate from cybersecurity because I do think that it would help some organization understand that it's not because you have met your compliance obligations on paper that you have good cybersecurity. I think sometimes that, that link isn't emphasized well enough um, or it's being abused, meaning that you know organizations will do what I call dark risk management, which is that on paper, they'll look like they're doing everything right. But you know if you go do a basic assessment, even a one-day assessment, you realize that actually nothing is being done and all the documents are basically lying about the, the security posture that they have. But that, that's kind of a different matter altogether. In my opinion, dark risk management or dark compliance, as I call them, that's the number one risk um, or the number one threat in the industry. And, and that is that organizations are basically using the instruments of business like compliance like risk management that are there that supposedly should be there to protect them. But what they do is they abuse of the mechanisms, like, you know, they change definitions, they play with the likelihood, they do all sorts of sort of dirty little games so that on paper they look like everything's fine, but in reality they haven't actually done the work they need to do to defend themselves, protect their customers, and, and actually meet the, the expectations that their community has towards them. I like that word, dark compliance. I'm going to find a way to use that in my <laughs> Okay. We hear this number all the time, right? Everyone's got a different statistic, millions of job openings in cybersecurity that we can't fill for a number of reasons. What are the issues? Why can't we, why don't we have the skills and the talent to fill these roles? I, I'm a fervent believer in the skill shortage. And in fact, I would rather we call it the talent shortage rather than the skill shortage, because I think skill shortage is often just being interpreted as being we don't have enough people in cybersecurity. And I think it's actually much more pervasive than that. Yes, we do need more people in cybersecurity. I don't know if it's a million. I don't know if it's five million. But I also think what we need to go into other areas of IT and we need to train people there. So we need more developers that know about secure coding. We need more system administrators that know about operating system hardening. We need uh, people in management that have a better appreciation of what 
the the actual activities that will defend their network are beyond just the theory that they actually need to know well you know you need to do memory forensics at scale you need to do out of band data collection to be able to look at pcaps and actually find you know uh, malware that has defeated your av you need to uh, do threat hunting you need to understand uh, when a malware report comes out that's you know um relevant to your industry your team needs to actually take the samples look at them and ask themselves would this work on our network and, and so i think the the problem is very um it, it goes much deeper we even need people in government that need to understand cybersecurity much better so that they can actually you know inject funding in the right places so that as a nation they can strength, strengthen their own nations you know uh, we need executives that have a better appreciation of what real cybersecurity looks like, the kind of questions they need to ask uh, their team members. Uh, how does it look like to even lead a team uh, or an organization that does cybersecurity correctly? Um, and so, you know, I'm very technical focused. I'm not trying to solve everything uh, by myself at all areas. But what I want to bring to light is that I think we have a talent shortage at many different levels. And uh, we need to tackle every single one of those levels uh, as an industry, really. It's not that you're just running this institute. You're really kind of, it feels like just talking to you, you are boots on the ground. You are keeping up with everything that's happening in tech and security. How do you do that? How do you continue to learn? How do you keep up? I'm very uniquely placed. I run a small company, you know, where there's nine of us. We run the institute, but we also have a consulting business. And so we get engaged every week to actually help clients with problems that they face, uh, whether you know it is that they need they're facing an incident and they need to come up, they need us to go on site and respond. We do some pen testing for them, we do some red teaming for them. Uh, in some cases we do some malware analysis for them. And so I, I get exposed to all of this and some of these engagements I do myself still. Um, also I'm a fervent believer that you know I'm not going to be able to train a million people on top-notch skills if I don't have these skills myself. Now, I, I acknowledge that I may not be the, the, you know, or become the, you know, the most specialist in any one niche, but I still need to understand enough of every single area in the technical skills so that I can teach others uh, in a way that scale. And if people have questions, I can answer those questions. And that at least the things that we teach are at a good standard. They're not outdated. Uh, and so I take this mission very, uh, very much to heart. And, um, I, you know, man, I, I train myself, you know, I've, I've actually spent over a hundred thousand uh, US dollars on my own uh, education to learn cybersecurity. Um, strangely enough, I've not gone to university or anything. Well, actually I have gone to university, but it's not, you know, it's not something that I rank very high. But what I do is I fly all over the world to meet the best in the world at uh, what they do, whether it's reverse engineering or Windows internals or, um, you know, uh, code the obfuscation or whatever the topic may be, and I go learn from these people. Uh, so that's how I do it. And then I also apply my skills in the field, and I try to say yes to the craziest challenges that people throw our way. Um, you know, uh, if somebody comes to us tomorrow and said, you know, I have a 10 terabytes worth of logs, can you guys find a way to tell me whether I have adversaries on my network? I'm going to be like, you know, I don't know how we do that. Yes, but, but, but we'll say yes and we'll figure it out. Sure. 
I, I like this kind of this piecemeal education system that you figured out for yourself about meeting the best and the brightest and kind of uh, almost like a brain dump from them and incorporating that into your own skill sets. And that, I think that's solid. Uh, with with universities and colleges, um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of criticism of higher education these days. What do you think at the college and university level can be done to improve the way we teach information security and cybersecurity? All right. So I think I want to preframe this by saying that a hundred percent for sure that most universities don't teach cybersecurity well. There are a few standouts out there that actually I think do a much better job. Let's understand the system here. Most universities. The curriculum that they teach actually has to be endorsed often by some sort of an industry body. So in Australia, you have the Australian Computer Society. They have published, you know, a, a little sort of a guideline as to what universities should be teaching when it comes to cybersecurity. And whoever then gets a bachelor's or a master's from a university that's taught something aligned to this standard uh, now can actually access certain benefits, like, you know, if they are an immigrant, they can now apply to get a permanent visa in Australia because they have a degree that is recognized by this body. Um, and then this body, they're not specialists in cybersecurity. So they've gone and copied something else from somebody else online. And uh, you look up these guys online and you realize, well, they're not specialists neither. So where the hell does this content come from? And you realize that, you know, it was created 10 years ago by somebody who maybe has worked in the field, probably hasn't. And, you know, academically may sound fine, but in practice it's outdated. It doesn't work. Nobody does it that way anymore. It doesn't go in depth into anything. And so that's the, that's the systematic problem that we're facing is that, you know, a lot of universities, even if you talk to professors, they would want to teach things that are better than what they teach today, uh, Gotham. But they can't because they're part of a big machine that has its its own way of working and that really you can't easily, um, you can't easily change that. You can't easily change that. And there are also a lot of financial incentives. So I don't know about the United States, but you know, in Australia, um, you know, the, the, the money that the, the Australian economy gets from people who come from overseas to get an Australian degrees is like something like 32, 35, billion dollars per year. It's not much in the United States, but in Australia, it's kind of a lot of money. And so what you realize is that, you know, they can't also make degrees that are too difficult, Gotham. They can't teach the stuff that I teach because most people would never get their bachelor's. They'll never get their master's, you know, if they taught what I, what I taught. And so you have like really these complex systems that actually doesn't have the right incentives to get universities to really teach the best content they could. And on top of that, the system is almost working against them because, you know, to get them to change a standard or the way they do things is like a very lengthy process. In some cases, it's not even possible to achieve it. Yeah, there, there are so many pieces there. Uh, I, I don't think you or I are going to solve uh, the issues of higher education in, in this call particularly. <laughs> yes. um, but I, but I, I, no, it's important that we start thinking about it a little bit. You know, I... I, I'm not sure how we, as you stated, I don't think we're going to remake the world on this call, but uh, I think that, uh, you know, if you wanted to really change higher education when it comes to cybersecurity, you really need to start probably at the level of the standards. You need to look at what are the incentives and you need to align everything so that it actually pushes universities to actually need 
to to teach content that is of a higher quality level. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. When you approach a candidate without a degree, does that matter to you? You know, I honestly don't look at people's uh, education on their CV. Like, I, I just don't even look at it. Um, I'm, I'm a very practical guy, as you, you, you've probably guessed by now. Uh, what we do is, is we kind of have a, an online service where we, uh, we, we take exercises from our platform and we kind of turn them into challenges for a candidate to undertake. And so let's say that I have somebody that applies to do an internship with us. I'll send them five practical challenges. I'll say, okay, well, show me that you can do a vulnerability scan with OpenVAS. Show me that you can write a risk matrix. Show me that you can write an application that has cross-site scripting, and I want you to write a little payload to exploit it. These are like really, really basic things. Maybe the person has never done these things before, but I want to see, can they actually, over a period of, let's say, two weeks or three weeks, make the time, the commitment to work through these challenges and actually solve them? The answers don't have to be perfect, but that's what I want to see from them. And if they can do that, then I know that they'll be fine. They just need to do, you know, another thousand of these little challenges to become, you know, excellent. But that's my method. So I don't look at education or anything like that. I don't even look if they have OSCP or any, any uh, industry certification. I just say, listen, show me how you go about solving this. If I like the way you go about this, if you can do it, then, you know, that's enough for me. Also... Our listeners need to know that there's a whole shadow industry of industry certifications whereby, you know, you can pay some people to sit the exams for you. And so when you look at whether somebody has a particular industry certification, you can't actually 100% trust that they have set the exam themselves. Like just, just the piece of paper itself is not sufficient. And further than that, uh, the listeners also have to know that there are plenty of industry certifications that are just paper-based. And some of them, you're even allowed to bring the book to the exam. So it doesn't mean the exam is not hard, but my point is, you know, somebody may have passed the exam because they've answered a number of questions, but that doesn't mean that they can actually do it. Or maybe they've actually paid somebody to sit the exam for them. Or maybe they were allowed to bring the book and they were smart enough to use the book to be able to solve the, the certification examination. And so you're like, I'm very skeptical, sadly, as I think a lot of people are in the industry of the certifications we've created so far. And so I just want to see the proof in the pudding. Like, Show me you can actually do stuff. And if you can and you, and you meet kind of what we're looking for as a team member, then I'll hire you and I'll train you for the rest of the way. I'm on the Marseille Cybersecurity Institute website right now. There's a lot of different programs here. What's the best way to start? Thank you for asking, Gotham. Um, you know, the first thing I'd like listeners to check out is that we run a number of community initiatives whereby we give free training to groups that we think need it most. And so, for example, we give free training to veterans. We give free training to uh, individuals that live in emerging and frontier nations in places where maybe, you know, the yearly income may be $400 per annum per person, right? And so these guys and girls, we don't want to take their money. We want to just train them for free. Um, we also give free training to nonprofit organizations. We also partner with 
charities that teach cybersecurity um, in their region of the world, and we help their members get access to free training. Uh, we're very big proponents of giving, giving free training to women that want to learn about cybersecurity as well. So, you know, if you're a newcomer checking out our website, look at the list of what we do in terms of our community initiatives and ask yourself, you know, do I fit into any of these groups that most of the cybersecurity institute actively wants to help out? And if you do, send us an email and we'll put you onto the free training. We have a second web section of the website called the uh, industry certifications. All of our certs are online. They are 100% practical um, and they are 5 to 15% of the price of any one of our competitors. And the way it works is you log onto our platform. Let's say you want to become a threat hunter. So you buy the threat hunting certification. That's going to unlock a hundred practical threat hunting exercises for you to do that if you did them all, every single one of them teaches you skills that can immediately be applied in the field. And so once you've done, let's say 40% or 50% of the training, you can actually now go into an organization and actually start doing threat hunting. You may not be the best threat hunter in the world yet because you haven't finished the curriculum and you don't have, you know, you haven't done it for many years, but you can actually start using the skills and doing it for real. Um, and then once you get to 80% completion, you can apply for an exam. The exam, again, is 100% practical. You have 48 hours to do it, and it's an exercise you've never seen before. But if you've done the training, you should be able to solve it. Um, and past that, we certify you. There's no renewal fees. There are no hidden fees. We don't ask you to go take CPEs or anything like that. It's like, you know, if you could do it and demonstrate through, you know, hard work, build a portfolio of demonstrated skills, I will put my stamp on you with my name on it and say, this person can actually do it. Yes. And I can confirm it because I have this entire track record of them actually doing it. How does somebody take the skills they learned here and explain that in a resume format or on a LinkedIn? Or how do they talk to somebody and say, hey, listen, this, these are the skills I have? We make it really straightforward. So you see, every time somebody solves one of our exercises, they produce artifacts in the form of source code, uh, video recordings of their screens where whatever solution they've come up with, they show it working. They're typing up reports, mock-up reports. They're typing up. Uh, different policies and documents. And so they build this portfolio of work that is not under any NDA that they can actually show to an employer. And uh, this week or early next week, we will have a uh, panel that's going to be made available for students to actually be able to show to an employer, like, this is where I'm at, and I can share with you the artifacts that I've created that show my work. And so what we want to be able to do, Gotham, is say, okay, well, you have your CV, you send it, but also make the link available or send them a zip file that has all your code in it and say, this is what I've produced. Check it out. And, I, and we think that's much more powerful than just saying that you have a bachelor or a master's from University X, but you actually have nothing to show for aside from the piece of paper they've given you. Do you all have some way of identifying or figuring out where these students are going after they complete your training? Given that the platform is online and anybody can register, um, we have a really wide user base. Um, and we have people that 
really have all sorts of different goals. You know, uh, we have, for example, um, working mothers that are working part-time, they're taking care of kids the, the, the rest of the time, and they'll also do some study online. And maybe what they want to do is they want to land a job in GRC, and that's what they want to do. Um, we have students that are truly part of what we could term, um, you know, elite teams uh, who, you know, they do attack simulations, or in some cases they work for intelligence agencies and they, they you know, they, they actually have to do intelligence collections and they come on the platform to practice things that are quite sophisticated, like, you know, uh, writing malware that lives in code case, writing kernel root kits and stuff like that. So, so I don't have a single answer for you, Gotham. What I'm saying to you is that, you know, we, we really have a wide landscape of students that each have their own goals and that pick and choose the exercises that they believe are more suited for them to achieve their mission objective. Before I let you go, any final advice for someone who's thinking about a career in security? I'd like them to know is that cybersecurity is really an amazing field and that it, it is worth it to put in the time and effort to be able to break in. I also would want them to know that the skills that they need and the effort that they need to put in to break into the industry is quite significant, okay? You're not going to go on Udemy, watch eight hours of video and land a job in cybersecurity, okay? You're not going to go on YouTube, watch some talks. You're not gonna read a few documents, a few blogs online and that's gonna get you going. No, that's not gonna work. You really need to be prepared to sit at your computer for probably 500 to 1,000 hours and actually learn cybersecurity from the ground up, solving real tasks like you would in the field and connect the dots as you go. Um, and so um, it's not that the, the, the study materials like the videos are not helpful, but that's not going to be enough to help somebody break in. Another thing that they need to know about is that cybersecurity uh, objectives are very different from organization to organization. So if like me, you're very technically minded, you should seek out teams and organizations that are also very technically minded. Otherwise you may land a job, yes, but it's gonna probably make you miserable because you're not going to apply these skills or the organization will have a completely different focus than what you really wanna be doing. Um, another piece of advice that I would say is um, really build relationships with people in the industry. I can't stress enough how important it is once you have the skills to also have the network to be able to not just land your first job, but have ongoing work at any time in your career. And ultimately, it's going to come down to who you know and how much you know them and the, how much they trust you. And so you definitely want to set uh, yourself in the mind of others as being very trustworthy, very honest, very dedicated, uh, have great attention to detail, be somebody who is a team player, who's a real joy to have in any teams. Uh, you want to have good relationships with people in, in, in the industry, with the recruiters, and and that's going to that's gonna help you break in and not just break in, but it's going to help you have a long lasting career in cybersecurity for 20, 30 years, no problems. Perfect. Benjamin, looking forward to many more of these conversations with you. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, getting to know you and speaking with you today. 
And, um, you know, I'd like to invite our listeners to contact us, Gotham, if they have any other questions. You know, they can find my email on, on the website. Uh, I respond sometimes personally to students uh, or anybody who has any questions. And so, you know, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And, and I do hope that you'll connect on LinkedIn and that you'll reach out to me. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, go ahead and feel free to share it on social media using the hashtag AccessCyber. Uh, And feel free to send it to anyone who might enjoy this as well. As always, happy hacking and talk to you soon.